dismissed. sniffling and stuff, I'm trying to get over something, I believe. Uh, <clears throat> just real quick announcement. Um, Wednesday is our quarterly business meeting. If you're a member, uh, we would love for you to be there for that. And then uh, <clears throat> our monthly fellowship launches next Sunday, immediately after the service. So we are anticipating you being there, hoping that you'll be there. Uh, love for you to be there. That's next week, immediately following the service. Uh, if you would... Meat will be provided, but you can bring a side dish, dessert, that will help us out. Um, All right. Uh, thanks for allowing me to be out last week. We just went on a little mini trip. Uh, Amber is in a new journey. This, this next 14 weeks, she's at, a, at an academy, so during the week, she's gone, and so we did something together while... We're all here, so uh, thank you for allowing me to get away, and, and for Jack, who you guys know as Daniel, who together, many of you go, Jack Daniel hadn't spoke to me that, that good since 20 years ago, so, uh, but I, I was glad that Jack was able to feel it, he's a, he's a good guy, man, he's, uh, he and I spent a lot of time together at work, just talking through issues together, and, and praying, and it's just, uh, so I was glad he's able to share. Uh, <clears throat> today we're going to be in week number two of this Jonathan and David series. Uh, looking at just the, the friendship that they both had and, uh, and the, the lessons we learned from that. You know, week one we looked at Don, Jonathan and David and, and the friendship they had uh, and how Jonathan exalted his friendship over his own future. And it serves as a beautiful illustration to us of what our Savior did for us, that he would have such a deep love for us, that he would... Uh, leave his earthly throne and come down to us and offer an eternal relationship with him. So today I want to look at Jonathan and David's life and how God takes us down uncomfortable paths and gets us where he's designed for us to be. Uh, let me pray. God, thank you for who you are. God, we're just amazed that you love us, that you care for us. And Lord, today I ask as we join together that you would just be so present in this service. God, that you would speak through me to each and every person here. God, that the words that have been written today will not be my words, but yours. And God, that you would do amazing things because of our faithfulness to you. So let our hearts be open to what you have. And let our eyes be open to what you show us. And let our ears be open, open to what you want to tell us. And Lord, let us just be submissive to your ultimate authority. And we'll give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, <clears throat> we've all encountered something that when we come to it, we go, I don't understand what this even means. Uh, there was a mother one time, and she was getting ready to move to Florida, and her three sons cared about her in this transition, that she was going to be alone, and so each of them bought her a gift. And so when they came together, they began to discuss these gifts. And so the first son told his brothers, well, I built a big house for our mother. And the next son said, well, I bought her a Mercedes that she could drive. And the third son smiled and said, I've got both of you beat. You remember how mom enjoyed reading her Bible? And now she can't read very well. She can't see. And so I bought her a parrot that can recite the whole Bible. It took 12 years. 
and multiple elders to train this parrot to be able to do that. Now all she has to do is say a chapter and verse, and the parrot, the parrot can uh, recite it to her. And so as all the sons were waiting for the thank you letter to come for their mom, the mother sent it, and first she said to the oldest son, she said, thank you for the house you built, but it's so huge, I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. And to the second son she wrote, I'm too old to travel, I stay most of the time at home, so I rarely use the, uh, the Mercedes, and the driver is so rude. Dearest Donald, the third child, she wrote to her third son, who had bought her the parrot that quote the Bible. He said, you have a good sense to know what your mother likes. The chicken was so delicious. <laughs> you know, many times I feel that uh, I'm like the mom, that God puts things in my life, and I struggle on deciphering what those actually mean. And so today I want to spend some time as we look at this story where Jonathan intercedes on behalf of David and deciphers some things to help him know that his life is actually in danger and how God's going to use him in the future. And so I want to title what we're doing today called Deciphering Arrows. And what I want it to be is a self-evaluation of how when God brings us through certain circumstances, how we struggle on our, in and of ourselves to decipher the arrows that he's placed in our life. You know, um, King David is this mighty warrior, right? We know him for the battles that he fought. I mean, he is legendary, but even those who aren't familiar with Scripture know who David is. But to kind of refresh you on the backstory that we talked about uh, two weeks ago, Israel had always been a theocracy, which means that God was the king over Israel. And Samuel started getting older. And he was approaching the age they thought he needed to transition out of there. And so some of the elders of Israel decided that they no longer wanted to be a theocracy with God as king. They wanted to be like the other surrounding countries and have a monarchy. They wanted to put a person in place as king. And so that's exactly what they did. Samson, I mean, excuse me, Samuel transitioned out of his role as judge, which means he was just a prophet that God used to speak to the people. And they decided that they wanted to put in a person to take over that position. And the person that they chose was a man named Saul. Now they chose Saul not because he was a godly man and not because he was this uh, experienced military leader. They chose him because of his good looks and because he was tall, right? What a criteria to pick a king. And at the same time that Israel was picking Saul to be their king, God was actually anointing someone else to be his king for the people. It was this poor shepherd boy named David who was, who was so unworthy of the position that his father didn't even put him before Samuel as a choice. Samuel had to go to him and say, isn't there another son? Like God has sent me here to anoint one of your sons as king. Where is the other son? And Samuel has to send in for David. That's how unworthy he was for the position. You see, there was a problem with David being anointed the next king. Saul also had a son named Jonathan, who they assumed was going to be the next king. And Jonathan wasn't this um, brat who thought he was entitled to everything. Jonathan was actually kind of legendary himself to the Jewish people. Jonathan was known for these fearless tasks that he would go and face the Philistines or any other enemy the Israelites had, all through faith in God. He was so entrusted that his father putting him in charge of a thousand troops at just a young, I mean, excuse me, as an older team. Jonathan one time went into the Philistines' camp and killed 20 Philistines by himself and put fear in the whole army of what God was fixing to do. 
He was a fearless leader. He was strong in his faith. And he was the one the people thought would replace Saul. And so as the story is circulating about Jonathan killing these 20 Philistines and, and the legend that he is, and even the historian Josephus writes about how the Jews were so familiar with this story, another story begins to unfold where David confronts the Philistines as well, and he takes out their mightiest warrior, Goliath. And we're all familiar with that story. And so as Jonathan is returning from the battlefield, he walks into his father's house where he lives, the kingdom's place, and he sees David, who Saul is now appointed as one of the leaders over his army, and he's also given his daughter over in marriage to him. And so what we think is fixing to happen is this rivalry is going to form, and what we find is God actually knits their soul together, is what scripture says. Meaning that God forged a friendship that was so unbreakable that not even division could break them up. And so as these two military heroes meet, God forms a friendship amongst them. The reaction from Saul is initially great. Saul loves David. Saul gives him the position that he does. Saul gives him his very own daughter to be married to. Saul is, is amazed with what David has done. David was like a uniter of people. People just loved him when David would walk into a room. But the very thing that Saul loved David for, he began to hate him for. And jealousy seeped in. And Saul began to be fearful that David, at, a, at, a, at the most, was going to take the kingdom from him. But at a minimum, he was going to replace his son Jonathan. And so through his uh, anger and through his rage, he set out, uh, and he, he put out a warrant for David's head. He decided he was going to kill him. And so we have all of this unfolding, and it becomes to the point that David is running for his life every time we see him. He's hiding in a cave. He's hiding in some obscure city. He's avoiding Saul at all costs. And so if you'll turn with me, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 18 through 23. His mission to kill David, it drove him mental. And I mean literally, it drove him mental. He was so paranoid of what was taking place, he began to make moves that a king shouldn't really make. As you turn there, I'll tell you what leads up to this, very, to this particular passage. David and Jonathan uh, meet up together. And David reveals to Jonathan seemingly for the first time that Saul was trying to kill him. Now Jonathan is so naive to the fact because he's so in love with David and their friendship. He says, no way my father would kill you. After all, you played the harp for him when he needed to. You married his daughter. You're a great military leader. You're wise. The people love you. There's, there's no way my dad wants to kill you. And David says, no, Jonathan, you don't get it. Like, if I return back, he's going to kill me. And Jonathan says, well, I'll test it out. I'll fill my father out for you. What I'll do is I'll tell him that you've gone away to Bethlehem because you're trying to take care of some family business that requires a sacrifice and sanctification. And while you do that, I'll fill my father out and see if he really wants to kill you. And so how he's going to fill it out is, is where we're at right now. Verse number 18, then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, uh, look, the arrows are on the side of you. Take them, and then, then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you. 
Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So Jonathan offers this plan. He wants him to hide behind a heap of stone or some kind of cave and structure. He wants him to hide there. And he says, I'm going to see if my father is upset with you, if he wants to kill you or not. Uh, if he does, if he wants to kill you, I'm going to fire three arrows. And when the lad goes to get the arrows, I'm going to tell him, if it's safe, for him to say, there they are beside you, grab them and bring them back, it's safe. If it's not safe for you, I'm going to tell him to keep going, keep going, keep going. And when I tell him that, it means that you need to go. It's not safe. So Jonathan goes home, and, and when his father inquires about David's absence, he tells him that David had returned home to take care of this family matter. Saul is so enraged, and he lets Jonathan know that when he sees David, he's going to kill him because David is threatening the monarchy of Saul and his family. Well, Jonathan, being the good friend he is, actually begins to defend David to his very own father. Saul gets so mad, not only does he try to kill Jonathan by throwing a spear at his head, but he begins to talk cruel about Jonathan's mother. And so Jonathan, so emotional, gets up from the table, not even eating, and he goes to his room for the night. The next day he decides he's going to get up, and he's going to go out and let David know that it's not safe for him to come home. Now, I look at the story, I was going, well, why would he just go tell him? But Saul was so paranoid. If you read verses before this, Saul had spies trying to keep up with David. He had spies watching Jonathan because he knew of their friendship. And so Jonathan has to kind of play it off. So Jonathan goes out like he's going for archery practice. In reality, he's getting ready to fire some arrows to tell David what's going on. And so he fires the arrows. And as the boy goes to pick him up, and I always think, man, this has to be weird for the boy. The boy goes to pick him up. He's like, no, go further. Go away. Get out of here. Get out of here quick. And so the boy's probably confused as Jonathan is deciphering these arrows for David. But he grabs the arrows. He brings them back. Jonathan sends the boy on his way. And he and David have one last conversation, which will be the last one they have before Jonathan meets his death. And I look at this story, and I go, man, what a special story this is. First of all, what kind of friend does that very thing? Knows that his life is in danger for telling you what's happening in your life, but he still does it because of the love he has for you. Deciphering arrows can be very tough in our own lives. That's why it's important that we have Jonathans in our life to help us through those moments. And so I want you to ponder this question. Are there Jonathans helping you to decipher the arrows in your life? Think about the journey that David's on. He's a young man tending sheep, and one day he's anointed king. Can you imagine that? David was just early teens, maybe even not quite in teens yet, when he's anointed king. And can you imagine what it must have felt like as a young boy to get anointed king? And then he goes from doing that to the next thing we read about with him, is that he goes to the battlefield to actually bring food to his brothers, and then he hears Goliath mocking God, and he says, no, I'll take care of this. Nobody mocks God. And he kills Goliath in front of all these people. And he becomes a legend to the point that he never returns home. He immediately gets brought into the kingdom. He gets a wife. He gets control over a lot of uh, power. And at at the peak of all of this, uncomfortable situations begin to happen. And things begin to come crashing down as Saul becomes jealous of what's taking place with David. And Saul begins to hate the very thing that he loved about David. He loved his passion. 
He loved everything about him, but the thing that he loved about him, now he hates. See, that happens all the times in relationships. That you love somebody, you love the passion they have, you love that they speak truth, you love that they stand for what they believe in, until they stand against you. And then you don't love them anymore, right? they're, They're out to get me. Or you see people begin to flock to them instead of you, and you go, that's not how it's supposed to be. I'm the king. They're supposed to come to me. And David is experiencing this right now as he is face-to-face with the reality of someone is trying to take his life. And so the peak quickly becomes a valley, and his destination quickly becomes a fantasy. And many of you have probably been through something similar where God called you, he equipped you, for something only to question it when adversity comes. And that's normal of our human nature. As, as, as much as we admire David, David faced a lot of uncertainty in the midst of all this. He questioned if God really wanted him to be king. It was Jonathan who told him, you will be king one day and I'll be right beside you. The very one who had every right to be jealous was the one who encouraged him along the way. That's why it's important that we have Jonathans in our life. Somebody when circumstances hit us and we don't understand what it means that'll come along beside us and say, yeah, that arrow right there, it just means that you're in danger. You got to get out of here. Or they say, no, 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 that, that means it's safe. You're going the way you're supposed to. Like we need that person in our life who will help us decipher the arrow. Who when we're broken, they can encourage us. When we are, when we've lost humility, they can bring humility back to us. We need the person who kind of brings us and makes us whole. David looked at life now in fear and and not hope, and the saving hand he needed in the sad reality was Jonathan. Jonathan had such a love for David that he couldn't even imagine anyone trying to harm him, better yet, not even his own father. But Jonathan saved David as he deciphered the arrows in that moment. Someone who holds us accountable is valuable to the life that we live. Every great leader we read about in the Bible had someone beside him to help him, held him accountable. Moses had Aaron. Paul had Silas. Peter had multiple disciples that held him accountable, and vice versa. All these great leaders that we constantly talk about, they had someone that held them accountable for the things they did. And somehow in our Christian walk, we look at it and think that it's this journey that we go on by ourselves. And when we get to the cave and we, and we feel hopeless like David did, we go, God, where are you? And God looks at us and said, I've put Jonathans in your life. I've placed people out there. But we bought the lie that Christianity is this this slow, painful walk we walk by ourselves. Like, we view Christianity as Jesus walking to the cross, walking with the cross on his back by himself to be crucified. And we forget the whole time that he walked for three and a half years with 12 men and held them accountable. Because to us, Christianity is this lonely journey. But I believe what this story illustrates is the importance of having a Jonathan in our life, someone who holds us accountable, someone who doesn't tell us the answers that we want to hear, but tell us the answers that we need to know. Someone who is willing to hold us to the calling that we've told them is placed on our lives. I know I always use me as an example, but I know me better than I know anybody else. And and there's times that uh, I've had those people in my life. And there's times that I haven't, and I've walked alone. And walking alone is is, is honestly the the most troubling thing of Christianity. And people who struggle with Christianity are people who walk alone. I love Christianity when I'm in fellowship with people. 
I hate Christianity when I'm walking by myself. It's just the truth of the matter. If I'm by myself, I hate it. But when I'm fellowshipping with people, and it's why God designed the church, he knew that it's a lonely walk. And so he said, I'm going to designate a time for you to come together with other people for the purpose of fellowship and for the purpose of renewing of your spirit. And that's the significance of, of us meeting on a Sunday morning. It has nothing to do with petting the ego of the things that I have to say. It has nothing to do with us wanting to brag in the community about what's happening. It has everything to do with the renewing of our soul through fellowship with other believers. And so the question that you're pondering is, who is that person in your life that will decipher the arrows when they begin to fall? You know, Solomon is considered by most to be the wisest man in the Bible. Solomon was also the son of David. And I just picture as Solomon was growing up, just because of the love that David had for Jonathan, that, that he would tell his children about Jonathan all the time. I bet he would tell them, man, you don't understand. Like, I was facing death. And he saved my life. He was wise counsel when I had nothing, to, when I had no one to talk to. David couldn't even go to his own wife because she wanted to take out the, she wanted to carry out the mission of her father. David had absolutely no one, but he had Jonathan. And so I imagine as they were sitting and growing, and as they read the, some of the scriptures together, that David would begin to tell them about Jonathan. And he'd go, man, every every one of you need a Jonathan in your life. And I sincerely believe that it was the inspiration of the verse that I'm about to read. You know, Solomon wrote the majority of Proverbs, minus a few chapters. And Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. It's good words. The wisest man alive gave us these words. He lived the life that his father shared with him. And I wonder if it inspired this because his dad probably told him, when I was by myself, I was scared, and I was alone. I was just a fool that was facing death. But I tell you, when I took the advice of Jonathan, when he came in and told me, you have to go because you're going to die, or when Jonathan came in and, and affirmed that I was called the king, like it, it kept me on my journey. See, God has established a future for you that is more than you deserve. But the path there is not easy. There will be promotions that you will not get on your way to the calling God has given you. There will be strong relationships that are broken on your plate, on your way to where God has called you. And there will be pain and heartache all along the way to where God has called you. But it's the, it's the responsibility of us in pursuit of that to stay devoted to the future and committed to he who crafts the plans. That's the greatest thing, right? When we don't understand why life happens a certain way, that we have an invitation to talk to he who created life, right? It would be like this piano breaking down and us being able to call the inventor of the piano, but we don't understand why it works. And they can tell you all the intricacies of it and how to fix it. And God has invited us in our brokenness when we stand alone in the cave feeling like there's no one there and questioning if he's really put a purpose in our heart or not. He's invited us to talk to him. And in conversation, we get the opportunity to talk to he who crafts the very thing we're pursuing. Accept Jonathan's in your life. They give you wise counsel and offer a different perspective on the arrows that are shot that need deciphering. Jonathan was naive to the reality that David was in danger 
but he was passionate in his protection of his friend. As much as we love Jonathan because he spoke into the situation and he deciphered it for him, we equally love Jonathan because I believe he would have fought side by side with David until his death. He had such a love for him. And every one of us want a friend like that. I want a friend who confronts me when I'm going astray, but I want a friend that when I'm in battle stands beside me and says, if we're dying, we're dying together. I believe it's one of the biggest draws to what military life is, is the camaraderie. Like when I, would, when I got out, and I would talk to those who got out, or you would, I would go for counseling, uh, the, the thing that they would always press to us is what you miss most is not waking up early in the morning, it's not extra duty, it's not the rough life that you had to live at times. What you miss is the camaraderie, knowing that the person beside you would give their life to save yours. Those are the identifiers of what a Jonathan is. It's a person who will speak into your life when the arrows are falling and you don't know what they mean. He'll tell you exactly what they are. He'll also go back to back with you and say, if we need a fight, I'll fight with you. That's what Jonathan is. He's the friend that we all want. David had Jonathan, but when you read about Saul, Saul didn't have a Jonathan. He had a bunch of yes men around him. If you read that story, Saul was intentional about putting people around him who only said yes to his ideas. It's why you see Saul fell as king. It's why you see David succeed as king. Because even when David moved into being the king over all of Israel, and Jonathan was long gone, he still had people in his life who would confront him on things. Read the story of him and Bathsheba and see if Nathan didn't walk in and directly speak to a situation that most wouldn't even touch. David always had people in his life who were confronted in his weaknesses. Saul always had people in his life who would say yes to everything he had to propose. As Christians... One of the biggest struggles we battle is finding wise counsel. We can all find counsel. We can all find people who agree with the things that we share. We can find people who get on board with our ideals. Where we struggle is finding wise counsel. I'd rather befriend someone who lives like me, who talks like me, who walks like me, than someone who walks in such a way that it confronts the disobedience in my life. So our dreams fade, our hopes are crushed, and we look up to God hiding from our cave, wondering why he sought us. And the reality is, we fell ourselves, because God has put Jonathan's in our path. Our relationships fell, and instead of realizing I didn't invest enough time in the relationship, I blame. I get fired from a job, and instead of realizing that I wasn't dedicated enough, I blame. Today, we all have to force ourselves to look in the mirror and look at those around us and ask ourselves, are we placing Jonathans in our life to hold us accountable? God is allowing arrows to be fired in your life at this very moment. And you're looking at them going, I don't know what this means, God. Where do you want me to go? I, do, you, do you want me to continue to follow this business plan that you gave me? Or are you telling me to open up this? Or, or God, what do you want me to do? Instead of wrecking yourself and not sleeping at night trying to figure out what God is trying to tell you, you invite someone in your life to provide you wise counsel. God wants you to seek the wise counsel of a Jonathan. The last thing I want you to ponder about is, is first, who's the Jonathan in your life? And, and secondly, what's the reception of the deciphering in your life? You know, Jonathan deciphered the situation for Saul first. He sat at the table and said, David isn't trying to do those things. I'll, I'll, I'll decipher this for you right now. He, he actually is going to serve you. 
David had a chance to kill Saul and wouldn't do it because he knew that God had anointed him for king. And John says, no, no, David isn't going to bring harm to you. I mean, he could have if he wanted to. He's a mighty warrior. He could have taken you out, but he doesn't want to. And Saul refused to listen and even tried to kill his own son. And then David, excuse me, and then Jonathan goes to David and he does the same thing. He begins to cipher going, yeah, my father wants to kill you. I don't know why because you've done so many great things for him, but he wants to. And David just embraces him and hugs him and says, thanks for sharing that with me. Like our reception of the deciphering in our lives really determines what the outcome is going to be. If David would have had Saul's attitude, David would have met Saul's fate. But David had a different attitude when he was given the news. Saul said, why, how dare you tell me about how dare you tell me to live my life, right? How many times have you heard that? Talk to somebody and go, hey, this is an area, I don't know, I would, I would look at addressing, how dare you tell me how to live my life? It's all about the reception of it. And that was his, his reception of it uh, from his very own son. David, on the other hand, accepted the counsel and it actually drew him and Jonathan close. They pledged at that moment that there would never be anything come between them and even their very own families. And on week number four of this, we'll see how David kept that promise to Jonathan even after Jonathan's death. David had every right to be angry at Saul because Saul was in the position he was supposed to be in. But he chose not to because he knew that God had a purpose and he was going to follow it. And when arrows fell, he was going to let them fail. He wanted them to be deciphered and he would follow the new direction. It's amazing how the enemy destroys relationships and people and businesses and kingdoms and churches just by them thinking someone wanted something. See, that's what happened to Saul. Saul just thought David wanted it. And as a result, it destroyed his whole kingdom. Not only did Saul die, so did his children because of his paranoia. And it happens all the time. A business will shut down. The church up the road will decline in attendance. And you'll go, well, what's going on? They'll go, man, I think this person's trying to do this. You're like, Wait, do you, do you even know? No, no, I just, I just think it destroys everything around it. It destroyed the kingdom of Saul. But David didn't allow those emotions to play anything. He always sought wise counsel and followed God in every step. Jonathan's are important, but our attitudes are as well. Jonathan served to keep David's hope alive for the coming promise, and David's attitude kept his focus on the one who promised the future. Paul addresses the church in Philippi about their attitude toward the future in verse number 2, I mean, excuse me, chapter 2, 14 and 15. He says, Do all things without grumbling or question, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. God's call to us is to face life with a perspective of He's in control. That in our lives, we live a life of a theocracy. God is king of my life, and I face life without grumbling and complaining because I know he controls all things. Arrows are shot in our lives at all times, and they warn us of danger, but they also tell us to refocus on what we're called to do. The question is, how will we receive those arrows? If somebody comes to us and says, hey, I'm really concerned in this area, how will you receive it? Hey, man, you need to worry about your own self. I noticed that you have struggled in this area. Or will we go, I hadn't even saw it before, but now I understand what you're saying. When someone challenges you and the arrows in your life, and God brings that Jonathan encounter with you, how will you receive them? Will you lose hope or have hope restored? Will you accept the truth or will you pass the blame? Will you seek out a Jonathan or continue to be surrounded by yes men? 
God promised victory to each one of us. And he's given each one of us the resources to achieve that victory. But you'll need to decipher the arrows flying in your life all along the way. And in order to decipher those arrows, you must first find a Jonathan for your life to hold you accountable. And then two, you must approach it with the right attitude. And I promise you, if you do those things, as illustrated through the life of David, God will take you to places you've never dreamed of. You may go, I'm just a poor shepherd boy. And now I'm standing as king. And it'll all be because of the people you put in your life and because of the sacrifice that you want to make to the calling of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. God, that you give us a story like this, an illustration of David. What an amazing story. God, my prayer for each and every person here today is that if they don't have a Jonathan in their life, Lord, you would send it in their direction. Someone who will hold them accountable, who will love them, even when they feel at the moment that no one else can. Got someone who will fight with them, not against them. Someone who can just offer friendship when they need it the most. So God, I pray that for each and every person here. I also pray, God, as you insert Jonathans in our lives, that you would also help us to have the right attitude towards the call that you place in our life. But it may not be the path that we hope for. But it's the path that you've designed for us. Help us to know that along that path, you're continuing to grow us, stretch us, make us into the person who can fulfill that role. What an illustration of David, God, as he went through amazing things that made him the mighty king he was. So today, God, each one of us, in our humblest ways, look to the sky and ask for you to do those things. If someone is here today and they're facing uncertainty about the calling in their life, Lord, that you would... Let those arrows be deciphered. And Lord, that you would push them to the position that you placed in their life. We're so thankful that you use us. Unworthy, many times unwilling, and you still use us because you love us. Help us to be light shining in the darkness, as Paul mentioned to us. Help us to be mighty warriors like David. And help us, God, if you put us in the lives of others, to have the temperament and the attitude of Jonathan, that we would fulfill those things you've called of us without any hesitation, knowing that you're doing a mighty work through us. God, we love you and thank you for all that you've done, and we continue to give you glory for all that you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for being here this Sunday. I know brave and bad weather and, and wet roads can be difficult, so thank you for coming. Uh, Wednesday night, business meeting. Uh, if you can, please make it. Next Sunday, we'll continue the series as we look at the, the death of Jonathan and what that resulted in David's life. And uh, and then next Sunday after service, we will have a fellowship meal together. So if you, if you can bring a side item and or dessert, uh, that would be wonderful and it will be a good time. Go ahead, stand with me. We'll close with a word of prayer. Would you mind closing something?